why. It's going kind of through everybody's mind right now is why. Uh, for the few people that aren't part of the, the SFA community really tight knit right now, um, there are just two students, one of whom was uh, Catholic and was somewhat involved in St. Mary's, um, died in a, a car wreck um, yeah, just very recently, in the last few days. Um, the question that comes to our minds, specifically when a, a young person full of life and energy and joy dies, is, is why? And it's not a bad thing to ask why. We actually should ask why. That's why we're given intellect, right? We're supposed to, to seek out the cause of things. But there's, there's a way that the, the devil steps in and begins to throw lies at us in the midst of that, to create an, a sense of utter despair. And so what I want to do is just kind of call out those lies and speak the truth into those situations because as it said in the, the the gospel canticle our savior jesus christ has destroyed death and brought life to life through the gospel for us as christians our disposition to death is that that is the first step of victory in the midst of death it's difficult to see that but that is the truth first off First thing that, in particular, in our time, that the devil will throw at us is that this shouldn't be this way. And in part, he's right. Young people should not die. God did not create us to die, in fact. But when he, Satan, throws the lie, this should not be this way, we should look him in the eyes and say, you're damn right, and it's your fault. Death entered the world through sin. Whose fault is this? Satan's. It was Christ who entered into the world to destroy death. The next thing that the devil will throw at us is to ask why. This was totally useless. Couldn't have God have just waved his magic wand and saved him? And in response to that, I have a story of my own life. So when I was growing up, um, basically by the time I was a teenager, I didn't really know if all this religion stuff was real. And I really just had no intention of living it, at least until I was like 80 years old, and then I was going to go to church a whole bunch and like go to confession. And, you know, if it was real, just like get into heaven as the door was closing, right? That's the plan. And when I was 15, my cousin, who was 16 years old, died in a car wreck. And all of the questions that are in your mind right now, all the emotions that you're feeling, the entire experience that you're having right now, that's what I had as well, but as a 15-year-old. And it was, in fact, his death and the recognition of the frailty of my life and of your life. It was his death and the recognition that I really could die today. 
that was the first step of my own conversion. And so, at my first Mass, the first time I offered Mass as a priest, I prayed specifically for him. Because it was his death that in fact was instrumental in me being a priest. You can think about how many people have gone through major conversions. How many people have had their sins forgiven? How many people have received the sacraments? How many people on their deathbed have received the anointing, confession, communion? Because I'm a priest. And I'm a priest because he died. Right now, it's really hard to look at the situation and see how good could come from it. That's actually the power of God, that he can do something utterly incredible with even the worst of things. The best proof of that is right there. Human beings killed God, and he made that a source of life. The next lie that the devil will throw at us is this sense that Grayland is gone. That he somehow is utterly alone right now. But for a Christian, we have been incorporated in Christ. Right? We are members of the body of Christ. And Christ, in fact, died first. And so as we enter the gates of death, we do not do it alone. We do it in and with Christ. So, is this an important moment in Galen's life? Yes. Is this a tragic moment in Galen's life? Yes. Was he alone? No. It was a moment that was imbued with Christ's love for him, who laid down his own life so that this death would not be eternal. And last, not last, second last, there's this sense that Grayling is forever gone from us. We're never able to connect with him, to talk to him, to do, to do any of those things anymore. But that's utter, utterly contrary to what we believe. And it's utterly contrary to, in fact, what we're doing right now. We're offering Mass for him, which means that we're not completely cut off from him. In fact, we're probably closer to him now than any of us have ever been in our entire lives. That if the Mass is what we say the Mass is, and if he is either in purgatory or in heaven, then he is present here. 
and the merits of the holy sacrifice of the mass applied to his soul. The greatest act of love that you've ever been able to do for him is what you're doing right now. And the last one is this kind of lie that the devil says that this is also the end. But remember, we very much do not believe that this is the end. Right? As, as Christians, we look at this life kind of as this like kind of lame waiting room, right? We're here, but it's it's not even a snap of a finger in comparison to how long we will exist. Was his life cut short? Yes, but all of our lives are cut short. In comparison to the eternity that we live, hopefully in heaven. And so, our life now needs to be spent first off praying for him, that God will have mercy on his soul, that he may be speedily brought to eternal salvation, but also for ourselves. If we desire to see him, to be with him, to rejoice with him, then above all things, we need to pursue that same salvation that we're praying for for him.